listening to the Survival in Motion podcast. Learn, adapt, prepare, survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion podcast. On today's podcast, I'm going to talk about a pretty disturbing development that was mostly unnoticed by the news in Iran. And this is something that I predicted in my book called EMPNYC. Before I get started, let me just say, every book I write is a whole series of research projects. I've always been kind of suspicious of Iran and their nuclear program. They're sitting on so much oil. Why do they need nuclear power? Well, that's their excuse, but of course we know otherwise. Anyway, in my book, EMPNYC, It starts off with a bunch of political and intelligence leaders in the government having a conference call, and it's revealed that there was essentially a nuclear explosion in Natanz, which is outside of Tehran. And in my opinion, Natanz is the Los Alamos of the Iranian nuclear program. And the book doesn't explain whether this is a test, whether it's an accident, or whether it's sabotage or whatever. But everybody on the conference call immediately realizes the importance of this development, which is that Iran now has nuclear weapons, and they're making them small. That's another theory of mine, that it would be easier for Iran to disseminate their nuclear arsenal by making them really small so that they can be hiked in wherever they want to blow up someplace. And two kilotons will do the trick. So sure enough, that's what happened at the beginning of December. I mean, in real life, not in my book, but in real life, there was an explosion outside of Natanz, Iran. Natanz is about 150 miles south of Tehran. It is, I think, the biggest nuclear enrichment lab that Iran has. And a nighttime explosion took place there. A flash was seen as far away as 12 miles away. Now, the going story is that this was a test of a surface-to-air missile. I don't buy that. Surface-to-air missiles don't make flashes in the nighttime sky that you can see 12 miles away. I just don't believe it. We do know that Iran has been enriching uranium for years now, and it's just a matter of time before they've accumulated so much enriched uranium that they can make a number of bombs out of their uranium. Anyway, that's what I believe happened in early December 2021 in Iran, that there was a nuclear explosion, whether this was, hey, check out what we have now, you know, showing it off, or whether it was an accident, or whether it was sabotage, who knows. But I personally believe that Iran is now a nuclear power. And like I said, this is something that's been ignored by the mainstream media, because I think It's being ignored because there's a Democrat in the White House, and nobody wants to talk about possible problems that are international or threatening when there's a Democrat in the White House. They'll wait until there's a Republican in the White House so that they can rattle everybody's nerves and possibly blame the Republican president for this ominous threat out there. Well, that's not being discussed right now because we have a Democrat in the White House. That's my theory. Anyway, as I predicted that this would be the first 
way we would find out that Iran has nuclear weapons. This is what happened in December last month. So I think this is a good opportunity to talk about what we could be facing possibly with smaller nuclear weapons being produced by Iran and then handed out to terrorists who will promptly hike them into a location and detonate the bomb. In my book, EMP NYC, there were a number of terrorists who did just that. They hiked these little bombs into Israel from the coast. They hiked them into European cities, including London, and several found their way into New York City. That was the main part of the book is, you know, gee, uh, all these nuclear bombs that are being hiked around in New York City are blowing up the place and starting with the Brooklyn Bridge. A bomb that small is easily hiked around. It's also easily put into the tip of a missile, maybe even a drone. It's also something that can be put into a satellite. And in my earlier book, EMP, The End of the Grid as We Know It, I spent a lot of time talking about the possibility of satellites having small nuclear bombs in them so that they can be detonated above a target and an EMP will occur down below. And let me explain how that happens. When a nuclear bomb explodes, a bunch of gamma rays are shot out from the bomb. That's essentially radiation. The gamma rays will hit atmospheric molecules all around in the atmosphere, and the gamma rays will knock loose electrons from the molecules. This is known as Compton scattering, named after Arthur Compton, the Nobel Prize winning physicist from the 1920s who theorized that this would happen. When a nuclear bomb high up or just a few thousand feet up or, you know, out in the atmosphere right above or whatever, when a nuclear bomb blows, those gamma rays will be shot out from the bomb and dislodge a whole bunch of electrons, which are negatively charged, and they are all attracted down to the Earth. And any kind of electronic circuitry in their way will become fried. And so that is basically what happens in an electromagnetic pulse. I found a video of a nuclear test in 1957, I believe it was, of, God bless them, several volunteers. At least they were listed as volunteers, yeah, in the Army. And I don't know whether to put quotation marks around the volunteers, but there were five people standing there. And three miles above them was a two-kiloton nuclear bomb that was blown up. And the purpose of this test was to show that for a small enough nuclear bomb, if you're three miles away from it, you'll be okay. And I note for the record that these possible volunteers all lived to be uh, ripe old ages. So uh, they didn't die of leukemia the next year or whatever. They did feel a blast. They saw a flash of a light above them, but they lived to talk about it. And of course, they were <laughs> videotaped standing there. Now, this was in the 50s, and there was probably zero electronic circuitry. There were no cell phones. There were no watches. There were no pacemakers, anything that was electronic. But these people standing beneath that nuclear bomb probably experienced, maybe they didn't know it, but they probably experienced an electromagnetic pulse. That's how it works. You might not feel it. 
If you have nothing electronic in or around you, you won't notice it if it's far away. The bomb at Hiroshima probably produced an electromagnetic pulse. Of course, that was the least of the problems that people had in Hiroshima that day. And let me bring that up, Hiroshima, just by way of reference. Hiroshima was 1945. It was one of the things produced by the Manhattan Project from 1942 to 45 was Little Boy, which was a uranium bomb dropped on Hiroshima, and it was about 15 kilotons worth. And for some reason, scientists believe it was inefficiently blown up. In other words, it could have packed more of a punch than it did. But that bomb was rated at about 15 kilotons. It immediately killed about 80,000 people in and around the immediate blast site. The temperature within a diameter of about a mile or two, within a second reached about 7,000 degrees. So everybody just right there just was instantly vaporized. And within the next several months to years, another 60,000 plus people died from radiation poisoning. Now that was Hiroshima with a bomb of about 15 kilotons. Most nuclear bombs are a whole lot more than that. The most powerful nuclear bomb ever exploded was something called Tsar Bomba, T-S-A-R, Bomba, by the Soviet Union. And it was between about 50 to 58 megatons. And that was in 1963. So you can do the math. A lot of the bombs out there, if they wind up in the wrong hands or if they are accidentally sent off, there's some serious blast power, millions of people who will be killed. But a two-kiloton bomb, which is what I envisioned in this book, EMP NYC, is something that will destroy a building or a bridge, a stadium or whatever. I wanted to just throw that out as a possibility that this might someday be a danger that we start hearing more and more about, that the mini-nukes, like M-I-N-I nukes, have been produced by somebody, and everybody will deny having done it. But I think we just saw one of them explode in Iran, and that this is something that we need to be aware of and prepare for whether it's to cause an EMP or to kill people immediately nearby by blast and radiation. It's something that we need to prepare for. If you are in the direct path of a nuclear bomb, it's not worth really planning on surviving. You won't. But if you're nearby, if you're downwind from a nuclear bomb, then you need to prepare for fallout. I don't think fallout is just a one-time thing. Remember the nuclear fallout from Chernobyl, made its passes over several parts of Europe several times. So that can happen again. So anyway, what are the symptoms of radiation exposure? Symptoms include loss of appetite, fatigue, fever, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and possibly even seizures and coma. The seriously ill stage of radiation may last from a few hours up to several months People also receive high doses of radiation, can also have skin damage. And this is something that they were seen several times in this book, EMP NYC, that these terrorists who were hiking around with these small nuclear bombs 
suffered from radiation sickness. And eventually in that book, that became kind of a telltale sign, is that if you see somebody you suspect might be a terrorist and they're losing hair, they're coughing, possibly coughing blood, they've got skin damage like dots on their skin, all this might be symptoms of radiation poisoning. And in my book, EMP NYC, sure enough, that's the case. And they find several people who either die or are about to die just of radiation poisoning because they've been walking around with nuclear bombs that they're going to detonate in New York City. So you've got to prepare for the possibility of being in or around radiation. And you don't want to suffer those symptoms, obviously. So I recommend stocking up on potassium iodide pills. These pills crowd out the radioactive iodine in your body. In other words, as your body absorbs radiation, the potassium iodide pills are already there, and it makes your body not want to absorb the radiation. These pills are cheap. They are available on Amazon, and I believe they have a longer shelf life than is stated. I've long believed that pills that are securely wrapped in shrink wrap I believe whatever their shelf life is, you know, expires in whatever year. I think it's more than that if it's really securely shrink-wrapped like these pills are. And I'll have a link in the show notes for potassium iodide pills. I also recommend a dosimeter. And this is something that was discussed in the book as well. I'm just going to quote directly from chapter 26 of EMP NYC. Andrew says, this is a dosimeter. It measures the accumulated radiation you've been exposed to. We don't have much time. If this meter gets close to 50, meaning 50 rentgens, that's the unit for how much radiation you've been exposed to. If this meter gets close to 50, we need to stop working and close this bomb up. They were working on a nuclear bomb in that chapter, or else we'll start dying from radiation sickness. That was quote-unquote from one of the characters in that book in chapter 26. By the way, like I say, my books are a series of research projects, and when I envisioned terrorists hiking into New York City with backpack nuclear bombs, this is kind of what I figured. It was about the size of like a car transmission, and you could unscrew it and then open it up and that the uranium would look like dowel rods. And what would set it off is one dowel rod would be slammed into the other, and there would be some kind of little miniature hydrogen container there that would start off the explosion, and the next thing you know, you've got a two-kiloton nuclear bomb exploding there. This bomb that they're working on in Chapter 26 was so-called, it was a dud because the detonator did not work. And everybody thought for a while, well, you know, that's the end of that one. But this one character in this book, Andrew, is the type of guy who likes to tinker with things. And he's uh, a former BattleBot guy. So he thinks he can hook up a detonator that will work so that you can detonate this nuclear bomb by remote control. And uh, well, I don't want to give up how the book ends, but that's what they're working on here. And that's why they have a dosimeter. They set the dosimeter next to the bomb that they've opened up. And they want to make sure that they're not accumulating too many rent gens of radioactivity. That's what a dosimeter does. 
Like I said, the nuclear bomb in Hiroshima killed people from blast and from heat and from burning and from radioactive poisoning. Burns got me thinking, if you're right next to a nuclear bomb and it blows up, you're toast. Forget it. But if you're nearby and you suffer burns, that's what I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about. I personally have bought several aloe vera plants through the years at Walmart in the gardening section. They're like a dollar fifty, and they're just little aloe vera plants. Just buy a few of them, bring them out to your house or your property, and plant them in soil that gets moist every once in a while. It doesn't have to be riverside, whatever, but those things can grow to be pretty good size. And aloe vera gel is excellent for burns on your skin. I also wanted to point out something else, coconut oil. Let me tell you, the coconut is a great thing. From one of my books, Dirt Sheet Valuable Prepping, I had a chapter on electrolytes. If you're concerned about electrolytes and depleting your electrolytes, you know, like you're outside in the hot sun and you're sweating a whole lot, if you can find yourself a coconut and crack it open and drink a lot of coconut milk, that checks off all the boxes for electrolytes. It's a perfect electrolyte liquid for you. And coconut oil is something that you can cook with instead of like a vegetable oil or olive oil. It's something that you can cook with. And coconut oil, you can rub into your skin and it will help with burns. It'll even help with just dry skin. It's something else that checks off all the boxes that your skin needs. Recently, I went to Walmart and there's this 14 fluid ounce jar of coconut oil by Luana. It's a small container, but it does the job. It's coconut oil. All you have to do is heat it up a little bit and it will turn into liquid and you can use that to smear into your skin. You can cook with it. Costco has a huge jar of coconut oil. That's also something good to have. And that costs about $15, $16 a piece. So I'd recommend that you stock up on that as well. Anyway, keep your eyes peeled for any possible news coverage of what happened in Iran last month. I believe it was a small nuclear explosion. And I think that what I was predicting in that book, EMP NYC, is coming true right in front of us. That the nuclear power that Iran is now becoming is a maker of smaller nuclear bombs, not big ones where everybody will know hey, this came from Tehran. No, there'll be smaller nuclear bombs that can be hiked into some place. They can be put on a drone. You can do a lot of things with a small two kiloton nuclear bomb. And I think that's something we'll start hearing about in a year or two or who knows, five years from now, we'll start hearing about this. And the time to prepare for all this is right now. So consider stocking up on these potassium iodide pills and a dosimeter on a related issue, burns are not an immediate concern with nuclear bombs, but I still think coconut oil is great and aloe vera plants are great as well. I hope you found today's episode of the Survival in Motion podcast educational and informative, even maybe a little bit sobering. But I hear the music. That means our time is up. Thank you for joining me. God bless. God bless. 